My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Ben about puzzles, low stats, and a bunch of other fun tabletop topics. As a reminder, we just finished up our design competition a couple days ago. I'll be taking a look at the entries and announcing the winners in the next episode or so. If you'd like to go to the Discord, you can go ahead and chat about future competition ideas. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everyone. I have Ben Doherty here today. Uh, I probably butchered that, so apologies. Ben is a freelance writer, editor, streamer, and game master. Welcome, Ben. Uh, hey, Brock. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? So, um, I am, I'm Ben. Um, I am uh, work in TTRPGs, uh, like Brock said, writing, editing, um, streaming, uh, DMing, um, and uh, I'm from Ireland, but I don't really sound like it if there's any uh, <laughs> uh, any Irish uh, listeners. But um, basically, I, I started, um, God, I don't even know now. I mean, I think it was about six years ago. Um, I had always, you know, I love fantasy and I was always loved making up stories. You know, I wanted to be, uh, you know, a novelist or, uh, you know, I wanted to make video games. You cycle through all those things when you're a kid, you know, and ultimately it kind of boiled down to wanting to tell stories and I loved fantasy and just kind of for many years I always liked the idea of Dungeons and Dragons um but it was wasn't like a thing where me and my friends uh, were growing up no we didn't know anyone that played it and it, it was kind of one of those things I mean in 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 hindsight we obviously we like could have gone online and you know probably found rules or whatever but it, it just seemed like this kind of inaccessible thing that oh we don't have that around here um, but then, you know, as I say, maybe six years ago, um, whatever it was, uh, me and a friend were like talking about it. And I was saying, you know, I'd love to try D&D. And we had been talking about setting up a more regular board game night, um, you know, with like a, a few of us. And I had, you know, mentioned, hey, you know, we could maybe try to do D&D, you know. And so my friend, um, Mikey, just uh, bought the starter set um the you know the one with lost minds fandelver and somebody needed to be dm and you know uh like i said you know i was like hey yeah i love yeah i like making shit up so i said you know i'll dm so my first experience um tabletop role playing i i was the game master because somebody had to do it you know and we didn't know anybody who played um so yeah, I think just we we opened the starter set and that was the first time I'd seen the rules and I kind of read through them quickly. We, we you know, looked at the pre-gens and we kind of made some, rolled up some characters and stuff. And I was just reading through like Lost Minds of Fandelver, jimming it for the first time, just like going along. And I'm pretty sure I probably killed somebody in Infamous <laughs> Goblin Arrows section, you know, uh, I think because I think somebody might have foolishly decided to play a wizard and, you know, took one arrow and was dead. But uh, yeah, that was it. I, I was just in in the deep end, and I didn't. Uh, it was a couple of years before I ever got to play as a as a player and make a character, you know. Until one of the other um, one of our other friends decided to give me a break, you know, and sit in the dining chair. So you kind of have the forever DM uh, oh, issue as well. I just kind of jump right mm -hmm. in and yeah, it was it was forever DM for um for a while there, you know. Um, 
Yeah, actually, funnily enough, um, during COVID times, during lockdown, that was the, well, actually, sorry, no, before that, I um, saw my opportunity to play in a game where uh, my my local game store is um, a half hour train journey away from where I live. <laughs> so um, I started, um, I, I saw an opening in, um, in, a, in a group at the game store. And so I started traveling by train just to, you know, to play for once. And that was really great. And uh, kept that up for a while, but we kind of, we had to put the game on hold um, during lockdown. Um, and it had already been like not a very long time uh, that I got to play. And I, and I think we broke, we had like a break for Christmas. And I think I, something about my schedule changed. I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I couldn't attend the group. So, you know, I got a little taste of playing, but I haven't played or, or DM'd as much D&D as, as I have since, you know, since lockdown and i think that's kind of the case for a lot of people um as much as i prefer in person um role playing it's um it's a lot easier to schedule when everyone's online and i think yeah a lot of games it's death by calendar you know that they <laughs> uh, so i mean i've i've dm'd and played more in the last two years than i than i ever did and got to try more systems and and stuff like that and so i want to come back to the the multiple systems uh, sure. piece in a minute but um so what have you uh learned going from you know being a kind of a, just a starter dm forever dm and not having played to now where you you've gotten a chance to play a little bit and you've been running more uh have you have you made some breakthroughs in terms of your dming style well bro i realized one thing which is i'm a lot dumber when i'm a player <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know what it is it's like i get in the player's chair and suddenly it's like uh, i'm terrible like i don't i i don't take notes i just forget you know and then i like you know i'm i you know it's suddenly i i forget how my spells work i can keep all these monster abilities in my head but it's like when i have spells i don't, I don't know what i don't know what happens you know what, what comes over me on the player uh but yeah i i think it it has helped with um you know kind of knowing that player experience and it, and it really hammered home. It was something that I would try to do, but I mean I think it really hammered home the point of kind of you know trying to involve everybody in the party and trying to give everybody a chance to use you know some of their stuff. Like obviously not ev- not every single session, but you know you got a rogue that likes to pick locks. You know maybe have a couple of you know maybe if something that they can use their thieves tools or they can use their cool ability um you know or just just give them their moment you know kind of do your best to arrange it in such a way that everybody has a little moment um that's theirs and they got to shine um it it, it kind of emphasized that and it really hammered home that point i think having been a player and you know sometimes it's inevitable and because it's not just the dm steering things you know it's it's collective and cooperative storytelling so you know, everybody's got a say, but, you know, we've all had sessions, I'm sure, in, in a game of any, you know, any RPG where, where you feel like you're kind of sitting there um, and you didn't really get to do anything cool or, you you know, the kind of focus was never really, you, you never got your time, you know, in the spotlight or to kind of do anything or tribute. And so I, I do try to tailor to that as, as I can. Uh, and also, I've been on the player side of, like, I'm bad at making up puzzles. It's one way that I'm. I think I'm really just, you know, deficient <laughs> as a game master is like, um, is that. But I, being on the the, the player side of of a puzzle, uh, you know, again, there's been sessions where things grind to a halt because you know the party we can't figure out 
some you know some mechanism or some puzzle and so i do kind of try to avoid that as much as possible partly because i'm not very good at them and also because sometimes i feel they can can be more frustrating than anything you know um and i think puzzles are maybe are sometimes better suited to the in-person play you know there's something nice about maybe having a simple but kind of tactile puzzle that somebody you know but yeah i, I think more than anything just yeah hammering home that point of trying to give everybody a little a little time you know that they can shine and they you know do, do the things that they made a character to be able to do you know they wanted to role play a big strong guy so you know let them let them kick down a door you know or whatever i uh i that i, I really like that idea and i've i think i've maybe mentioned that on like twitter or somewhere um even if it's like you know you have a character that builds like a big tanky you know, character and they, you know, their whole thing is they want people to try and fight them and they just want everything to just glance off their armor. Right. So, mm. you know, instead of doing the logical thing from like the monster's perspective and, and throwing like some type of piercing attack or otherwise ignoring their armor in some way, send a bunch of like little minions at them to just swing and miss because they're going to feel really good <laughs> about, yeah. you know, their character yeah. build and concept yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be all the time, but let them do the things they're good at. Definitely. And that, that's a good point, actually, that, you know, something like that with, and there's a good contrast there, actually, between, say, having a bunch of little minions. You know, if you throw, like, a bunch of little in, in, inconsequential uh, minions at, you know, some big tank in, in heavy armor, and they're kind of just bouncing off of them and, you know, just scratching off their armor, they, they still get to feel, you know, like they were this big tank that, you know, it, it then when if they if they do get hit by something you know big or this kind of armor piercing attack or you say you know go after maybe a save that they're not so good at you know you've got some kind of illusionist you know wizard or or, or whatever it might be it, it feels more poignant and it's more emphasized then that it's like oh yeah because all that you know little stuff just bounces off you but you know so it, it took this kind of you know it took this more powerful force to even hit you you know that it, it, it kind of by contrast it emphasizes it Right. Versus I've I've played in some games where the DM will see the, you know, kind of like general character build and be like, OK, how do I not necessarily beat the players? But yeah, and I think in their mind, it was maybe to challenge to challenge mm -hmm. us. But then it's like I built this character to do this thing. And then I got completely bypassed, <laughs> you know, and then yeah, it, it, yeah. And it doesn't, doesn't feel as great as just, no. you know, deflecting a couple of, of blows. Um, yeah. You also mentioned puzzles, and you know I don't know if I found a lot of great resources for puzzles. Even those, and I've seen people talk about it online, as those can be kind of tricky because you have to make them simple enough that the party can get them. But if they're too simple or they're just happen to be too easy, then it's it, they'll just blow right through them. But if even sometimes basic puzzles can be really tricky or if the players aren't you know in the right frame of mind or whatever then yeah. they just get completely stuck and like you said that can really bring the uh the game time to a halt which is is not usually what you want to do no and it's it's funny because and it, like it's a it's a valid point and i've seen it you know many times either on you know twitter or reddit or you know anywhere facebook you see it going around um and it is a valid point but uh, i think it's um, and I don't think it's a good instinct, but there's almost like an instinctual, you know, knee-jerk reaction against this or that, that we don't default to this, which is the idea of like, you've got a puzzle, 
um, and kind of just, you know, letting someone reasonably, it's like my wizard is a lot more intelligent than I am, <laughs> you know, that he should be able to make an intelligence check to maybe like get a clue or figure something out. Cause it's like, you know, if, if my barbarian wants to, again, you know, maybe bust down a, a you know, a barred door, you know, I don't have to make a display of strength to, you know, I don't then have to show you that I can, you know, that, that I can flip the table. Um, and kind of, because we do the same thing with charisma is where, you know, it's it's fun. You know, people will want to role play and what they say or whatever, but, you know, giving someone a penalty to a role because they weren't very charismatic when they said it is, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of punitive and it's, I don't think it encourages people to really get into character because they're just going to, they're going to be afraid to, you know, to get into character then. But um, similar thing with the puzzles. And but it is funny, you know, if you if you do say they're stuck, and then you start saying, okay, well, make it you, you make an intelligence check, or making it, you know, and then they roll really low, and then you can't give them a clue. And then like, everybody does that, you, everybody <laughs> makes an intelligence check. And then you kind of one way or another, you kind of just have to give them the answer. And then everyone, you and the players are afterwards just kind of like, it felt pointless because they didn't get to they didn't get to figure anything out and they didn't really get to do anything and and oftentimes it's a very bad idea if there is a puzzle and that is the only way to advance because it's very rare it's it's basically never like that in any other situation and it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be the case most of the time that there is only one way to do something you know um it was it was actually it was um actually with the company that I was working with we didn't end up um doing anything with this but we briefly we were working on uh maybe making some um uh, like a trap supplement or releasing some you know like a little free little supplement with traps in it because i think it was around the time that wizard coast were running that um like the dm competition and the i think the entry was you had to design a trap based on uh the like trap template or rules in uh xanathar's guide and we did that and and that you know also emphasized or at least when we were designing them we were trying to heavily focus on that that you know don't make don't make it so there's only one way to circumvent it because it is bad design right you know um because you know it's like what if somebody there's someone you know they like no one has good investigation and, and you know again so i do think it is good sometimes to sometimes to target uh people's weaknesses because you know it's dramatic and it also you know it, it kind of you know, throws them off balance a bit, but it, it definitely needs to be um, the minority of the time. It's maybe in a, in a, an 80 20 split in terms of, you know, 80% of the time, just goblins are just, you know, if they, you know, bouncing arrows off the paladin's plate armor. But, you know, maybe 20% of the time, you know, a mind flayer, you know, tries to mind control them or whatever, you know? Right. Um, yeah, but that's, that, that's why I tend to try and avoid puzzles. One, I, I'm. I can't really come up with a satisfactory one, to be honest. It's just something I'm not good at. And I don't feel that they're ever that satisfying. Or, well, sometimes I will have puzzles. Um, and I did this not too long ago on, um, on stream. But they're never, they're, they're rare. Like, it was in a, it was in a crypt. Um, this, like, ex very expansive crypt complex um, underneath the city. And there were kind of traps and puzzles. Um, around a lot of these cursed tombs but um none of them were or very few like none, none of them were necessary to advance through the the dungeon you know there was a ton of routes through the crypt and it was just kind of like well here's this 
puzzle that they may never figure out. But if they don't figure it out, they can just walk away. But if they do figure it out, you know, hey, there's a there's a magic longsword in the crypt. So maybe that's yeah. the time to use puzzles. Yeah, I was kind of thinking having puzzles as like a, a bonus and or uh, maybe they find like a puzzle box or something, you know, and it's got yeah. something in it and, and then they can just take it with them and then they can just kind of kind of yeah. gnaw on it during, you know, as they adventure. Yeah. But it's never I, something that's impeding them from whatever their, you know, current quest is that they're doing. Totally. Yeah, I literally, but, you know, back in the earlier days of, of playing in person, like I love... I, I love props, you know. I bought a bunch of real cheap, um, like jewelry and stuff online. That like, you know, because uh, it because it was like a you know a, like a dragon necklace or something. And I just bought it real cheap because I was like, I'll make magic items out of these and I'll give them to the players. And and, and I always wanted. Um, I didn't get around to it or, or, or like have enough or have a good um, something good. I never found something that I wanted to put in this puzzle box. But I wanted to get a puzzle box and, you know, give it to the players. And it would be, yeah, one of them's got it in the bag of holding, you know, as they're traveling, you know, doing their other quests. And maybe every night, you know, they try and figure it out. But um, yeah, actually, speak, I mean, that's one thing I really miss about in person. I mean, in particular is little props and things. Like I, I would make, like, you know, I bought a bunch of little jars, like little potion, you know, um, glass jars. Uh, and a bunch of food coloring, and I made potions of all different colors. And, you know, so you actually get to drink the potion. Um, you know, it's just those little things, you know, that, that kind of really, kind of really helped to, to, you know, put you in place and immerse you into the experience, you know? Uh, and I do, re- I do miss that. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that I haven't really gotten to play around with much because we haven't, um, I, my first campaign that I played in was an in-person game, but that um, that is, you know, since been been done for a while, and and now with mm-hmm. with COVID and and where we're living and everything, you know, friends are usually never. It's always, you know, everybody moves away, and then everything's online, yeah. you know, because that's the easiest way to do it. So mm-hmm. um, that makes me makes me uh, have some ideas for props for my daughter, though, when she's older, I can start. They start collecting stuff now so I can get her into the game. Yeah, it's and, the number one reason to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Players. And they and they don't have a say in whether or not they get to play or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're grounded and I'm taking away your taking away your phone and your iPad and your PlayStation. There's nothing else yeah. to do. And there might be there might be some bribery there too, right? Like, oh, you know, if you guys go help with this chore, then you get five gold for your character. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you meant. Yeah, I'm now imagining that it's like, yeah, you're given chores, and it's like, okay, one of you, you know, one of you got, one of you's got to take the garbage out. One of you has to go play D and D with Dad. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll take out the garbage. It's like, no, <laughs> no, I had to play D and D last week. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to not happen. I want them to yeah. enjoy playing with me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, I, I was. Oh no, sorry, go on, bro. Oh, yeah, you can go ahead. No, I was gonna say I was. Um, yeah, I'll have to wait for my uh, for my niece and nephew to get a bit older. But I was really disappointed. Like just before COVID, um, I was due to. I, I was gonna DM, uh, like a kids group at that local game store that I that I used to play at. But then you know it was like during the summer when I had more time. Um, and obviously the kids were off. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was a shame we never got around to it because. I mean, like on the subject, I I do think 
it's it's really valuable for kids you know it teaches so many great skills you know teamwork creative thinking empathy like problem solving it's great for getting kids out of their shell and you know i was a weird kid you know i was a nerd and we didn't have, like me and my friends didn't have that where we were growing up you know i would have killed for a, a game store you know go play D. &D. um it would have been awesome so it was something i kind of wanted to do and you know kind of get some kids interested in it and you know for the the kids that you know don't like um you know going out for sport or whatever or maybe they're kind of you know in their shell a bit but uh it was a shame that it because covid obviously we couldn't do it and it's it's um i think they're running them now they started the kids group but um I, unfortunately i just don't really have the, the time at you know i kind of did back then but um it just doesn't work out it won't work out now but it was a shame because it was something i wanted because I, I do think it's really can be really beneficial you know Oh yeah, for sure. I I'm in the same boat that we didn't really have, or I didn't know of anybody who did it when I was growing up. So, you know, I would have also been really excited if that was something that was even an option, you know, when I was growing up. Um, you mentioned that you've played uh, different systems or you've been getting into different systems. Mm. Um, what have you branched out into? So I, th I think the, the very first time or so I think the first like non D D RPG I played was I think uh, we were in the middle of um, my first like pr like campaign that I got to finish in, in lockdown. I was online. We were playing Curse of Strahd with some people I didn't really know. I met them all online, but they're now now one of my my home group where I where I get to play. Um, and I got very lucky because you know we all got along very well and they're great people. Um, but uh, we were having like an off session, or there was two people couldn't make it. You know, so we didn't kind of didn't really feel right to continue on without everybody. And I, I think we might have been at a fairly critical point. So um, the GM um, decided to run a session of Traveler, that like kind of space Western um, game. And, you know, I, I hadn't heard of it, but uh, I played and I kind of had fun. But that, that was the first time it was just that one game that we played. Some had ever done another system um, in terms of uh, like something that was really good. It's honestly, maybe it's probably the best role playing experience I've ever had. Just, you know, straight up you know, role-playing and getting into a character was um, um, a friend of mine. Um, he actually, uh, if people want to uh, check out uh, the Romancing the Dungeon podcast or Rise of the Forsaken on Twitch, it's D8 Dungeon. But a friend of mine um, who founded that uh, ran these games um, all on Discord, all text-based, um, like an adaptation or an, an adaption rather of the, the, uh, the game Werewolf, like kind of parlor game where you know i think it's also called mafia uh and sometimes it's called murder in the dark yeah um, that's what i just got that for christmas <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah the basic premise is like one of you is a werewolf is the killer of some kind and nobody knows who it is except the killer and you know you're all trying to catch them but uh he ran these games which were like they ran from this was deep lockdown you know you know everyone was at home we had nothing to do and um it was like would go from like 11 a.m. to like you know 8 p.m. all day, and you could you know when people had time they would write in, but it was all text roleplay and it was broken up you know so it was like the first one I played in was this it was set in the Wild West and um, it was basically a werewolf, but it you know kind of turned out to be a a Wendigo. Um, and yeah, I I I loved these games. It was just you got really into it and you were playing a character and you would vote for who you thought was the killer. And it was like, 
it was like it was like living in the best TV show I'd ever seen. <laughs> what what you would do is the following morning, the, he would do a write up of the scene of who had died. You know, so somebody would get somebody would be killed every day. You know, and you'd be reading along and you'd see your character's name, and it was like, oh no. You know, when it would cut <laughs> back and forth between the, it was like so intense. So I played in a couple of those, and then I ran some, and I absolutely loved it. I did like a a Victorian um, themed one and did this kind of Stephen King 1970s um, vampire one set on an island in Maine that I just, uh, it was, I oh know, there was so fun. And that was like a, a fantastic, just pure role playing experience. And I think that's actually becoming a bit more popular now, like people doing play by post, whether it's D&D or whatever. So just when you have time, you know, so the scheduling is kind of out, out of the way, you know, so you're all texting in and I, I actually employed it in my one of my home games that I was running where we decided that like if there were things that the characters wanted to discuss um that didn't happen you know quote unquote, on screen like the things that they would discuss maybe like around the campfire and we can kind of flash back and assume they talked about this uh so we had like a, a downtime um channel in our yep. discord where we would do video call so they could just be like hey let's flash back to blah 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 and they might ask somebody about you know, where they grew up or their backstory or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, I found it, it, it's been really good to have that tool. But um, sorry, in terms of other systems, um, after that tangent, uh, also um, my group from the games, when we moved online, well, actually, first we did an all barred D&D game where we were a family <laughs> band. <laughs> and, nice. But we, we were all, it was very, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where our father <laughs> was um, this kind of demigod. So so we were all different. You know, one of us was a minotaur. I was a tiefling who, like, I made. I wanted to look like a, an Arcanoloth, this jackal-headed guy. There was an Asimar, like, angel dude and an orc. And, you know, so th this guy had sired all these, you know, interdimensional children, <laughs> and we had all <laughs> formed a band. But uh, th that, game, th that game group... Uh, our GM ran a game, or uh, we did it for like a few months. You know, it, it probably it probably amounted to about six to eight sessions in total. Because you know, sometimes we wouldn't play for three weeks. Uh, but we ran uh, Symbarum, and I don't know if that's exactly how it's pronounced, but I think it's Free League. If I'm if I'm fucking that up, uh, apologies to the publishers of Symbarum, but it's a Swedish um, role playing game originally. It's it's a great dark fantasy system where uh, magic is very dangerous. So like there's you know there's no classes um and it's not like a level system really you you kind of you level up individual like basically feats you know or perks that you pick up so you know one might be like um a sort of like a two-handed fighting thing you know you like being good with a big heavy two-handed weapon you sure. know, you'll get some kind of benefit from that but um each individual spell was its own like skill its own feat you know um so uh, and anytime you learn a spell for the first time, uh, you would take corruption. And the same thing would happen when you cast a spell, you might take corruption. A certain amount of corruption, you would turn into an abomination. You know, and it would manifest physically, you know, on your face if you were corrupted. So, yeah, it, it was like magic was really dangerous and very powerful. And so it was this gamble to take it. And uh, I've often wanted to play a, da a Dark Sun D&D um, game, but... Especially with the way Psionics is in fifth edition, and Psionics being very important to Dark Sun, I was just thinking like a couple of weeks ago that that Symbarum system 
could actually be even better for Dark Sun than Fifth Edition D and D because the the whole like casting magic being a corrupting influence. Because um, in Dark Sun, for people who don't know, you know, it's um, casting magic drains the life force from the planet, and it's called defiling. And there's a you know people will hate you if you're a defiler because you're continuing to you're like you're furthering the destruction of this already nuked planet. Um, so the the mechanic of the corruption being visible. Uh, and the abomination, it's sort of like the King Dark Sun, you know, becoming kind of monstrous figures. And lastly, uh, oh, actually, you know, I did, I've also played a bit of Mothership, um, which was very good, that more recent, um, recent released sci-fi, like horror RPG, it's very alien um, kind of vibe. Uh, we, we played a game of that on stream, which, which uh, was very fun. And then um, most recently, my home uh, group where I'm a player, um, we played Call of Cthulhu for the first time, which is something that I've been wanting to play for a while. And immediately, I love that it's such a nice change of pace from D. I mean, I love D and D. It's always going to be my number one, probably. Um, I absolutely love it. But um, Call of Cthulhu was it was a very nice change of pace to feel, you know, completely powerless and overwhelmed. <laughs> and uh, I, I would I would like to maybe get a bit more proficient with it and run a game of that someday because yeah, and the the, the the backstory of characters in Call of Cthulhu is often like mechanically incorporated. So your backstory is actually very important because um, if you, um, you know, fail sanity checks and, and you gain a, a phobia or um, some sort of mental, uh, mental condition, um, the GM can actually alter your backstory um, and sort of, you know, mess with the character's mind. With the exception of like one aspect of your backstory, you make what the term is, um, but uh, it's like a treasured memory or a treasured artifact, and it's kind of your anchor. So that if you are, you know, lost at sea of psychological trauma, y- you can try and pull yourself back from the brink by focusing. You know, it might be a place, you know, somewhere with your grandmother's house, you know. Um, but I've been learning about um, Call of Cthulhu. I've been trying to brush up on it and come to grips with, it. Uh, mostly through. Uh, Seth Skorkowski's uh, YouTube series, um, which is a really good resource if you want to learn to, about Call of Cthulhu and how to play, and actually Traveler as well, which um, I think he's got over the other RPG. But um, yeah, that was a very long, uh, was a very long-winded way of saying that I uh, played a tiny bit of Traveler, a tiny bit of Mothership, a tiny bit of Call of Cthulhu, um, and uh, a bit of Simbarim, <laughs> you know, amongst some other things. Um, are there things from those systems, whether it's mechanics or ideas or something that you've brought back to your D and D games? Well, I, I haven't had a ch- I haven't had a chance with this Call of Cthulhu one yet. But funnily, I was actually just earlier today talking to GM of that game about how I'd like to incorporate um, the chase Call of Cthulhu into D and D games. So just very simply, like the, the the way it works is. You know, say you've got um, the, the chase is broken down into like certain zones, and a zone could be as short as you know the the distance from one door to another in a hallway, or it could be you know across a cornfield. You know, but there's basically just kind of points of interest along a chase, and then you would have like hazards in the way, but also um, I think you know like ob- permanent like um obstacles, which might be like a hazard might be uh you know mud that you might slip on um but like uh, you know a, a blockage or an obstacle i forget the term you know would be like a locked door. so you would essentially you go by everyone's movement speed like th- there are mechanics it, it 
I think I'm making it sound very complicated, but there's a visual element to it because you map these things out on a little, just a line with dots, you know, for each sort of point of interest. Um, and I think it, it's, um, yeah, surprisingly, I think at a first glance, it would seem sort of weird or maybe like not that dynamic, but um, it's a great way of breaking down a chase and it's, it seems really fun uh, to implement. So like something like that, um, especially because um, like we went through a rooftop chase or, a, a, well, not just rooftops, but down onto the street, a chase in um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, the adventure. And now part of this could have been, you know, may, maybe if it was, you know, maybe there was a different way to run it. But that was a bit frustrating at times. Um, you know, D&D can be good at that. And, and Matt Colville has good videos about like ongoing skill challenges. Like maybe you're trying to, you know, you know, run through a city or, you know, quickly get through some woods. You know, you all throw out, I'm going to try, I'll use survival to help us, you know, find a way. And I'll, you know, I'll use strength to maybe there's a log, you know, that we need to get, you know, stretch across a river. So I'll I'll pick it up and I'll... I'll, you know, I'll make a bridge and all that kind of stuff. But I think the chase rules from Call of Cthulhu could be uh, could be implemented into a lot of um, into a lot of other RPG. And uh, I I feel like as I play more of it, I think a lot of the uh, kind of investigative stuff and like horror aspects I can definitely see see making making their way in. But um, I'm trying to think of you know in terms of D and D, but like stuff from Simbarim, uh, I want to steal. Or you know, be inspired by steel from uh, from Simbarim for this. Uh, just something on like the back burner in the back of my head. Um, I'm just working on a little RPG of my own using the uh, the Caltrop core system, which is uh, really fun. I'm gonna. Oh God, I'm gonna butcher the name. It's <laughs> it's um it's their name is the the war between the Olympians and the Titans in Greek mythology, and it's the Titan. <laughs> The Titan Nomaki, I think, um, is how you pronounce that. Apologies for ring that. Um, but the Caltrop core system is... But uh, I really liked Simbarim's kind of bespoke character building system of like, you know, you could be... You maybe take the, the skill or the talent that like, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're big, you're good with a big axe or whatever, but you could still take like a spell. So I'm, I'm working on a, a system called... Um, that I uh, want to call Flesh. It's this kind of zombie apocalypse in... Uh, the Middle Ages. Um, it's no magic or anything, but I really liked that system from Simbarum, where you're really picking... Yeah, you really can make a unique character, you know? Uh, there's very few restrictions on any of what kind of um, talent can take, what perks. Um, so uh, that was very interesting as a system, especially, you know, coming from D&D. Obviously, what, what you can and can't do is often very prescripted by your class, and, you know, you kind of get set on... can can often get set on a track from level one. yeah i've i definitely feel that when i'm making DD characters um a lot of times i'll get an idea and then it's like oh but so i need to like multi-class and do some of this stuff and then it's like yeah but is that like what i want to do and then uh, you can really go down the rabbit hole so i i am always interested in uh systems that are either classless or allow just maybe more ease of of customization maybe yeah to get a like, character concept, yeah, like like one thing that I do in um in some of my home games is like with D and D. Now this isn't I don't want the characters to have no flaws or no you know bad stats, but but I I basically when I would get someone to make a character, I'm like you know you could do point by and I link them to point by calculator called chicken dinner, <laughs> which is a very good point by calculator for five e. <laughs> um, it's very good, 
And instead of the 27 points, I give them um, 34, 35. I've forgotten now. It's been a while since I since I started a home game, these rules. So they get more points. Um, and instead of the limits being 8 being the lowest and 15 being the highest, you can put a stat as high as 8. So you can start with the 20 if you want. Um, and you can go as low as 3. So like, if you want to make a character who has like, you know, a like a minus, you know, three strength, and like, you know, like uh, I think Matt Colville mentioned, you know, they played a game where, and I've done this too, where somebody rolled their they rolled their stats with a d twenty, so you know, you can get one, <laughs> and and somebody got a goblin that had like a twenty intelligence and a one strength, so he made him a really powerful wizard, but his strength was minus, so he had one strength, so he made it so that he wasn't able to move his body, he couldn't move his body under his own power, you know, he was, he was so weakened, his muscles were atrophied, so one of the other party members, like, carried him on his back, like, on, like, a palanquin, or, you know, sort of like a master blaster, you know, Mad Max Thunderdome kind of situation, Yeah, um, and this goblin was, like, slinging spells from the back of the barbarian or whatever, so I think having more points so that you can make a range. So if you want some, you know, because sometimes it's difficult to, it's like, you know, like I want to be, because you should definitely always have a, a negative modifier in at least one thing. I, I I am a proponent of that. You should be bad at, you know, um, but then, yeah, it's just, it's more points to play around with and kind of make exactly the character they want to. And also I give everybody a free feat because a lot of the feats are, you know, if you want to keep up pace with optimization or whatever, they're just things you might never take, you know, um, really. But if oh, it's something sure. that makes, makes you feel... And the thing is, yeah, the, on average, those characters in those games, you know, they're more powerful than most level one characters. But, I mean, one, level one is a very deadly level anyway. It's very easy to wipe somebody out, you know, unintentionally. And two, it's like, if they're more powerful, like, I don't, I just throw harder monsters, you know? Right, it's right. Not, like, it's always in your hands to just up the ante and balance against them. You know, obviously, you're, it's, you know, you can get into a kind of toxic GM versus players mentality there, um, you know, but, you know, I, I don't mean it in that sense, but just, you know, you can challenge them, um, you know, you, you're in total control of what they come up against. But yeah, I would say... I like. I would say that the the feats that you can get in fifth edition are not going to be as game breaking as just them having certain class abilities, right? Because there's or certain yeah. like high level spells and stuff are going to be more game breaking than uh, being able to do more damage with your bow or whatever. Um, exactly. To jump back to that goblin example, when when you were describing that, the first thing that I thought of was like Professor X because. He's like yeah. this master, you know, telekinetic master person. And then, but he's in a wheelchair, right? So, like, yeah. he's got some physical limitations as well. Um, and then yeah. you said that the barbarian just carried the goblin. So, that's, you know, that's... But, uh, like, and yeah, I'm, I'm a, I often, and this is probably, you know, one of, like, my first character that I ever got to play, uh, my, uh, my good friend um, uh, was, you know, said he was going to DM. And uh, we only played three three sessions of this game before we kind of got TPK'd. Uh, well, two of the guys got turned to stone by a Medusa, but technically I was knocked out. So in my head canon, my character still, he still lives somewhere. He's just, you know, a hostage of, of the cult. But um, this guy, and it was actually really funny. Uh, I hadn't ever watched Critical Role. And I was really, like, I was, I decided to kind of get into it. And uh, in campaign two, and I, I started campaign two, 
and when people were revealing their characters, uh, I was uh, I was very happy to find that uh, me and Travis had made like superficially very similar characters because we basically I made a hexblade who was a sailor who had inca- who had encountered his patron after. He- <laughs> you oh, know? sure, um, yeah. So I made um, this. Uh, I made a, a, a you know a very uh, very original. I made a. He was called Dagon Caliban. And we've got a Lovecraft reference and a Shakespeare reference because <laughs> it was nothing if not pretentious. Um, trying to impress my my friends, I guess. No, but um, this uh, Dagon Caliban was so. It's like I made a warlock, and I was, you know, I gave him negative, which most people would probably be like, "That's a terrible idea. You need it for perception checks and you know wisdom saves," which you know. But he was fanatical and so convinced that his patron. Like he thought he couldn't die, that he was supposed to be here. His patron had ordained all this, so he would just walk into danger. And if if he died, he died. You know, he was a very sort of a you know Viking berserker kind of character. Um, but that was just fun to role play. I was like, he was a bit deranged, to be honest. You know, he he was you know hearing voices in his head, and and I've I've also done that on stream. I play um because I, I DM one stream, but play in another one, and I. Uh, I play a very naive paladin and he has negative wisdom because, you know, he's a kid, essentially, he's a 16-year-old squire and, you know, he's naive and optimistic. And so he's just has, and he has very little common sense, you know, and I, and I like playing big characters who have negative decks with the other big stat that you definitely shouldn't dump, yeah. you know, because it's your initiative and it's <laughs> deck it's saves, but everything. it's like, no, he's, he's <laughs> slow, you know, it's, Them's the breaks, you know, and that's why I like giving lots of points at point by, so you can have a big range. And it's like, hey, you want to have, you know, you know, minus, you want to have that minus three decks, but you know, be built like a brick shit house. Like, go for it, you know. <laughs> if if he can catch you, he's gonna pummel you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I think that's really cool, um, and especially like you mentioned with your uh, warlock, just kind of wandering in and not necessarily like because like the dumb barbarian is a trope Mm -hmm. you know but like in this case you weren't doing it just because he was dumb it was more so because he he was like convinced of these things you know and he couldn't see past that uh, which is a different a much different angle to to play like a character flaw which is cool yeah he was just in his own world it was like well i can't and you know should if i am to die then i suppose that would have been ordained by you know the great old one you know basically but right that was that was yeah. your purpose anyways so yeah so it was you know i also stole from from the song of ice and fire uh books um i i think i think most of the people that were, i think he's probably one of the least popular point of view characters but character of ario hotar who uh, is married to his axe uh i did the same thing that this guy was married <laughs> to his, his packed weapon you know it's just I don't know why that really that really like stuck with me, you know. I mean, in the books and at least in in my head canon with my character, like you know, there wasn't any there wasn't any freaky deaky stuff going on with the weapon, you know. I think it it was a sexless marriage, but you know, but uh, <laughs> but still, I I always kind of thought that was an interesting idea, you know. That this, yeah, he was just a bit uh, he was a little bit odd, this guy, you know. He was, but uh, but fun to role play, you know, just to go cack just into a room, just cackling, you know. I mean, not literally, well, sometimes literally, you know, just <laughs> laughing and swinging a glaive, um, you know, swinging his wife around the room. 
<laughs> you know, it's a dance. <laughs> it's a dance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's just like little cans tied to like ribbons off the back of the <laughs> off the back of the glade, just saying like "just married." You know. <laughs> oh, that's just this is a great image to have. Um. Uh. Well, we're 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 kind of getting close to time here, so we should maybe chat a little bit about um. About what you any projects and stuff, or tell us about what uh, what you do. Yeah, so um, so like I said before, um, freelance, um, G writer, editor, um, most mostly for for fifth edition because it's it's what I know, it's what I know best. Um, last year, mostly uh, I've been doing a lot of work with a company called Penny Dragon Games. Um, so we've done a few Kickstarters. Uh, in 2021, and we've got more on the horizon. But um, most of the, the the bulk of what we do is uh, our quarterly magazine, um, Mag of Holding. So uh, first issue, this was actually the first issue. Um, the Kickstart was run before I came on board, but uh, we've got uh, the frozen wastelands, kind of you know, ice, winter themed. Uh, second was, sorry, pardon me, um, pirates and seafaring adventures. The third was gothic horror, which was the first magazine that I wrote on. Um, and edited all of that and then still in production we have uh the breath of the feywild um magazine which was our sort of winter and you know so those have been really fun um to write for and, and to edit you know it's it's free and it's it's helped you know i think with game design for dming as well you know, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of things you know but uh so we've been doing that and then with penny dragon as well on their twitch channel uh i i play in one stream uh, which is a, a Humblewood game, the campaign setting by uh, Hitpoint Press, where everyone is a sort of a woodland critter. You know, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit Redwall. You know, a bit Mouse Guard. And actually, I play a Mouse Paladin. Who? Um, well, actually, I was gonna say something, but it would be a spoiler for the <laughs> for last session. So if anybody does want to watch it, you can uh, catch up with the VODs. You can catch up with previous sessions on the Penny Dragon Games YouTube channel, but. Um, you know, we stream on. Um, so I play in that game, and then I DM uh, my own game uh, called The Cloaks of Minehelm, which is uh, it's not the setting of my own creation. It was created by our CEO Paddy Finn. Um, but uh, in essence, the players are members of the kind of lowest rung on the City Watch ladder, and they are the Brown Cloaks. So all of the City Watch and all the, well, not the, but all of the like law enforcement for this um, this land. Are the cloaks? So they all have a cloak of different colors. So blue cloaks in the ports, and green cloaks for the countryside, you know, kind of thing. But the brown cloaks um, patrol the cities, and they kind of are the bulk of the force, and they do all the dirty jobs no one wants to do, including patrolling the sewers, which is like a large part of of what they do. Um, and actually, as well as being the thing that they encounter in the first episode of the stream, is also the first um, piece that I ever designed for Penny Dragon Games was my monster, uh, the excremental, um, which is just, <laughs> if anyone knows what a fatberg is in the sewers, where like stuff just accumulates, um, just, you know, waste and garbage and runoff, and it just clogs up the pipes. It was, I was like, basically that, but animated. So it's a, it's a big poo ooze. <laughs> like, um, so I think that will tell you, you know, Everything you need to know about me as a as a designer <laughs> is puns and and just terrible ideas. You know, <laughs> you know. I'd like to think you know executed okay, but uh, you know. So th that's been a lot of fun, um, especially because we have a wonderful tech guy, uh, Christian, takes care of all the stuff that uh, I would be horrible at. So I just get to show up 
uh, you know, half an hour before go time and and just DM, you know, I don't have to worry about Twitch. <laughs> Um, because I would be terrible. I'm just I'm so bad with technology, you know. Um, but uh, that's that's been good. And then um, more recently, uh, I've had some stuff. I've been uh, working a little bit with Icarus Games um, and their uh, uh, magazine, uh, the Side Quest magazine. Uh, I think I should have some stuff in the next issue coming out for that, and um, maybe some stuff in the following one. So that's been great. Anto from Icarus Games has been great to work with as well. Um, and then just a couple other projects, um, some uh, um, creative, you know, partner of mine that I've worked with in Penny Dragon Games, uh, Kyle Gray. Um, he's uh, at D&D Armory One uh, on Twitter if you want to want to check him out. Um, he's got some stuff uh, releasing on the DMs Guild soon, which I've been editing for him. And um, also we're working on a couple projects and I'm working on some stuff myself. So should be some DMs Guild stuff uh, coming out soon. But um that's the, yeah, that's the, the bulk of it, really. As I said, a lot of what I've been doing is Penny Dragon Games. Uh, so either through, um, you can look up, uh, actually, I think the Kickstarters are under Paddy Finn. But if you Google uh, Mag of Holding, it'll come up. And I, I think our web store uh, should be coming up soon. And the magazines should be available through Amazon and uh, Nord Games, I think, uh, soon. Nord Games are fulfilling some stuff for us. And uh, yeah, and then check out the Twitch channel um i stream uh, our game uh, every other sunday uh, at 6 30 well i think we're moving to 7 p.m uh gmt but uh that's uh, the next one's actually this sunday so the, uh, and then i play um uh, every other friday in that humblewood game a great great dm richard dufoe um and yeah that's every friday on those same weekends the next one will be in just a couple days time on the 28th at a uh, 7 p.m gmt as well and we've got other streams on there, so you can check them all out. But they're all up on the YouTube channel, too, if you want to go back, watch previous episodes. Um, you know, watch it for the players, you know. Who wants to listen to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but that's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about, um, we've got a, I'm trying to think, is there anything, what can I, is there anything that I can actually say? Um, hmm, I don't know. Oh, well, actually, in the, it might be, uh, I don't know if pre-orders are still going, but I had a lot of fun, actually, most recently. Uh, the mag of holding in the last issue um I had to cut some stuff for um for um kind of for space for page count um but uh again i've you know i'm sure as you've seen in this episode i've got a tendency to ramble <laughs> but uh i really like this adventure that i uh, that i made uh, called the willow and the wardrobe which is a bit narnia uh, a bit alice Wonderland, a bit um uh, Wizard of Oz and a bit Grimm's fairy tale. So you can check out the Mag of Holding uh, Breath of the Feywild when it's out, if that's appealing. Or in um, issue three, the Gothic Horror Magazine, um, there was an adventure that I wrote with a Varkalak, which I, you know, half bat, half pig, half human, you know, man bear pig creature. <laughs> uh, and a hunky punk, which is a, a very diminutive gargoyle. Because I, I, um, I had to make this monster because I heard the term Somebody, when I was playing D&D, they used the term hunky punk, and I'd never heard. I was like, what? <laughs> and I Googled it, and apparently it's like a, I think, Northern England, um, maybe, um, a term. It's it's like an, kind of another word for gargoyle. So I was like, that's amazing, a hunky punk. Like, doesn't that just sound like a little <laughs> little mischievous gargoyle, just like a little stone dickhead? Just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like you want it, you know, like a little imp. Um, so, you know, that, it's it's been a lot of fun, and they've been, you know, it's uh you know, there's there's great stuff in there from you know tons of other other creators, but um, 
yeah, so I'll, I should be releasing some stuff on DMs Guild soon. And just other than that, yeah, just check out the streams and uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, now, this is going to be tough. It's at Spongeon Master, but uh, there's a long story behind that. But it's uh, S P O N G E O N um, Master. Um, so you should find me. Um, so I've been posting on there more recently, and I've got a couple. Uh, like when I uh, when I hit seven 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 followers, I'm going to release. Uh, uh, just a celestial monster for free for everybody. Because um, I did, uh, I did a were hellhound called a Werberus for six 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 followers, <laughs> which was my girlfriend's very inspired idea. So yeah, That's you just awesome. follow me there, and you can find out kind of what I'm, you know, what I'm up to at the moment. And uh, yeah, release some. Uh, been releasing some free stuff like uh, an orb pondering wizard subclass if you're into that. So yeah, I'm gonna stop talking now. <laughs> cool well yeah you got we got the plugs and stuff out of the way so that's perfect um i think one one last question for you and i think it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of cheating since you're you're a, a writer for role-playing games already um if you could have any book made for like a tabletop or for an rpg mm. or something what would you put in that book which i said like i said you're already oh. doing a lot of that so <laughs> oh god yeah but you know, there's so many things that you know. You, can, you know, legally, we're not. <laughs> no, uh, no. God, that is a, that is a good question. What would I? What would I do? Um, well, one thing. Um, and again, maybe this is cheating, but something that I've been thinking about recently. Uh, I would like to. It came up actually. Somebody was talking about it. Got talking on Twitter about it. But there's not a whole lot in Fifth Edition D and D really about curses. So I'm kind of hoping in the future. Um, sometime soon once I kind of you know I got a <laughs> I got stuff on my plate right now that I gotta you know that I gotta get through but uh, I'd like to put out some kind of a book of curses because it's really something that they kind of touched on it a bit a little bit in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft but especially for that kind of book it just wasn't I don't know it was on my mind because I was as I said on stream we were in that uh, running that adventure in the in the crypt uh, and so I just had to I made a bunch of random uh, curse table for when our rogue inevitably started grave robbing, <laughs> you know? So it's always the, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's a, a resource I think. So yeah, curses and is, is, has been on my mind recently, you know? Um, oh, also the other thing, sorry. No, I tell you what I would do um, is uh, now that there are some other options out there, but it's been on my mind for a while. I, I do want to, at some point uh, I have a, a null race that I want to release because I absolutely love Knowles in D&D, the hyena people, and uh, I just think more more options to play in Knoll. But uh, I don't know. Are they boring answers? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. No, they're never boring answers here. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Ben, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was a, a blast talking to you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks very much. I had a great time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.